Hello, welcome to More Than Just a Vet, a podcast where I explore the lives of veterinary professionals when they are not at work. I want to know what's behind of the surgical mask of the man or the woman who try to help our animals. What are their struggles? What are their passions? Why did they choose the veterinary profession path? Is it as glamorous and fantastic as we've seen in some TV programs? Or is there more to it? My name is Francisco Gomez. Welcome to my show. Hello, this is uh, yeah. Pete. Uh, she's, um, uh, she's a vet. She, she, she works in Manchester. Uh, Pip, uh, uh, tell us a little bit more about you. Um, so um, I graduated from the RVC uh, just two years ago now. Um, and I've been working in South Manchester ever since. Um, I work at a small animal practice um, that I did a lot of my EMS at at university. So uh -huh. I, I knew everybody quite well before I started there. Um, but actually, at the beginning of this year, I handed in my notice um, and I'm about to start a new job in North Manchester uh, next month. Okay. And and, and when, when when you say that um, you you graduated, what year actually did you graduate? 2019. 2019. And when did you start doing your, your first job? Um, August 2019. So I had about a month between graduating and starting work. So pretty much you work six months in the old normal and then <laughs> and then it was COVID, right? Yeah, it, um, it was, it's very strange. It's definitely not how I imagined the beginning of my career to be. Um, so it was March 2020 um, yes. that everything changed and I was kind of aware... Um, I was kind of wondering when my practice were going to do something because it was, yes. you know, you, you were kind of watching it, watching the world change and thinking, you know, a country like Italy is kind of two weeks ahead of where we are. Yes. Italy two weeks ago started putting in these measures. Why haven't we started doing anything yet? And then yes. I actually had a very weird coincidence. Um, I was working the weekend that my work put all the restrictions in, but I was cooking in my kitchen on the Saturday evening and I accidentally put my hand in a blender and nearly okay. chopped the end of my finger off and had to go okay. to A&E. So I then had two weeks off work because I had to have my finger sewn up and then I came yes. back and it was like masks, no clients in the consult rooms, everything in the car park. It was, so I wow. was like off for a completely different reason. <laughs> so you, 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 came, you came out of work, working normally and then you came back and mm -hmm. it was a completely different workplace, right? And yeah, so we we consulted in the car park for a few months and then last uh -huh. summer we started having clients back in the rooms, which yes. I didn't feel great about. And uh -huh. I think, and now I feel somewhat vindicated in how I felt about that. Okay. Um, but yeah, we're still, we um, we have a big open waiting room um, because yes. our, our practice is within a, a, a bigger um, complex. And so we have clients in the waiting rooms. They have assigned seats that are spaced out. Um, we yes. speak to them out there and then we take the animal through without them. Okay. Um, yes. And that's what we've been doing since the beginning of the year. Every practice has done something different, trying to adapt to the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we found ourselves that when we were uh, um, leaving people outside, mm -hmm. they were congregating outside, uh, lots mm -hmm. of them just together, not respecting any social distancing. And, uh, and, and yes, it's... It's true that outside is less likely to catch up, but at the time we didn't know. We just yeah. knew that we were to have um, far away from each other, and that's what we were trying to do. And then, yeah, now is everyone, if you work in the vet industry, is mask, 
goggle protection, aprons, gloves, and have to change it every time. And it's it's a pain, but I'm getting used to it. I hate to say. Yeah. I don't know. I, are you? I would. I have no issue with wearing a mask now. I think I almost. It's not that I like wearing one. Like it's not no. enjoyable. Um, yes. But I think. You know, I haven't caught a cold this year. I haven't got one either. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and I, I get the bus to work every day. Like, I don't yes. drive. So, um, for me, I wear a mask 12 hours a day. I wear it on my commute to work. I wear it the whole day through work. Uh, yes. And then I wear it on my way home. And I, it's just normal to me now. And yeah. I think I'm, I'd am i be quite happy. I mean, I'm 26 years old with no health conditions. I'm not going to get vaccinated for months yes um yeah so i'm i'm quite happy to to keep wearing one and maybe even beyond you know this pandemic yes. um yes to to keep everybody safe from yes. the cold and everything yes. i think if it becomes less than mandatory more like um your choice mm-hmm. I, I i do think i will wear it definitely more often than i used to do before I think I will be wearing gloves more often as well, and and yes, I think I'll, I'll increase the protection simply because yeah. I think I think it's maybe a good thing. Yeah. Um. The the, the only thing that bothers me a, a little bit is is the waste. Mm. We use a lot of it. I'm guessing. A hundred percent. I um I wear a reusable mask. I like have yes. a few fabric masks that um mm. a friend of mine made. Um. She's Tiger Milk um, on Instagram if you want okay. to buy her masks. That's right. Um, That's right. They're very good and I've been wearing them through the whole pandemic. Um, so yes. I think I have maybe three or four of those. Um, and so I think, you know, it must be 300 masks that I would have worn if yes. I'd been throwing them away. Yeah, so, you know, there are some things that I think don't have to be disposable, but obviously things like gloves and plastic aprons, like yeah. it is what it yeah. is, isn't it? Yes, uh, fortunately, also some some uh, sometimes you you have to use some grades for certain mm-hmm. things, and, and yeah. sometimes that is pos- the, the ones you can reuse it, they don't yeah. work as well. Um, one thing that I ask uh, all the interviewees is, um, what do you love of being a vet? Why did you become a vet? Mm. Like almost everybody um, that I've listened to, I have wanted to be a vet since I can remember remembering. Okay. Um, when I was three years old, I said I wanted to be a vet and an artist. <laughs> okay. Um, and hey, I, I managed 50% of that. So, you know, that's a pass. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So you're working now on being an artist? Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know <laughs> that I really have the talent or skills in that area. Um, I mean, I, I write. That's that's a kind of art. So okay, there you go. <laughs> we'll count that. Um, but yeah, I I love being a vet. I um, I love the stimulation um, of having a job that is super different every day. You never know what's going to yes. walk through the door. Um, yeah. In my job, um, we see quite a lot of exotic animals we're primarily a companion animal practice but you know in a normal day i'll treat um obviously rabbits and guinea pigs but i'll see gerbils i'll see hedgehogs um i saw a couple of chickens this week um so for me it's been a real steep learning curve of adaptability and transferable knowledge which i love yes um and then I, i love my surgery um part of the reason i'm moving jobs is so that I can get more experience with that in um, uh-huh. a different practice structure that will hopefully have a bit more time to dedicate to improving my skills there. Yes. Um, but that's something that I've always loved and always been really interested in. Um, and yeah, I guess my my weird interest um, in the profession is euthanasia. 
Um, yes, you you write me about that. You write to me, and I thought, oh, well, actually, what 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 does that mean? And I I kind of understand it, uh, but but you you send me an email that you say, well, actually, you want this to be a good experience mm. or the best possible experience if, if we if we can't call it good. Yeah. Um. And and I think that's that's very interesting because a, a lot of us what we say is well really don't want to think about it. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't say um, it, it is something I enjoy. Um, I yeah. think, you know, that's that's the reality is nobody, well, most, most people aren't going to enjoy that part of the job. I'm yeah. sure there's someone out there who does because it takes all sorts to make a world. Yeah. <laughs> true, but true. Uh, yeah, you know, like the other day I did five euthanasias in one day and oh, it was a rubbish day. I came home, I felt like crap um, because how could you not? Um, and, but I think, you know, I did a lot of CPD at the beginning of the pandemic when I had those uh-huh. two weeks off. Um, I did a, a big course from Compassion Understood, um, about euthanasia. Um, yes. and it really opened my eyes that such a huge percentage of clients leave the practice after euthanasia. If they get new pets, they go somewhere else. They don't want to go back to where they had their pet put to sleep, whether it's because of the memories of going there for that or whether it's because they had an actively negative experience and i thought Mm -hmm. if i can get clients to want to come back to see me again because they thought that i was compassionate and competent then that's better than so many vets are managing to do um and you know it's it's the little things like i got the receptionist to teach me how to use the card machine so that i can do everything in the room they don't need to go out and pay afterwards. I can you do that. Me to sh- you put me to shame. I don't know how to use the machine. Um, I mean, I still forget to cash things off and get in trouble. Yes. But, <laughs> um, you know, just, just little things like that. And um, sort of having a routine of making sure I explain to them beforehand everything that happens in the consultation. Yes. So they know exactly what to expect. And very few things catch me by surprise anymore. You know, sometimes when you have... Um, a patient that you're, you've got half your pentaject into the vein and they start agonal gasping and you're like, oh no. I warn them of that beforehand. I say, this might happen. Yes. Sometimes it can be distressing, but usually the, the patient is already well asleep by then. So, yes. you know, things like that. Or sometimes muscles might twitch. Um, you know, yeah, that's normal. The eyes don't close. <laughs> For those who doesn't know... Pentoject is, is mm. the barbituric product mm-hmm. that we inject in the vein to, which pretty much is an anesthetic product yeah. that we don't, yeah. of a family we don't use anymore, but it, it helps for that. And yes, you're right, something that sometimes I forget to warn is, mm. yeah, the eyes don't close. It's not like in the movies. Mm-hmm. Some people expect that and it's, it's a bit, well, why the, the eyes still open, you know, that's, that's true. I, I feel, um, that that's a very important part of, our job. Um, I find that some um, some people start grieving well before mm. that day. Uh, that yeah. they have that conversation that uh, very many people don't want to approach. But with some experience, just trying to learn when to approach and have mm. to ask them: Is 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 this what is going to happen? And and people sometimes feel bad about telling you. Yeah, I think my my pen needs to go, but don't want you to think I'm a bad person because I want yeah. to do this. So so often I hear, oh, you know, I'm 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 worried about telling you that I think it's coming towards the end. And I say to people, 
there's there's this myth of the right time there's yes there is no right time there is no wrong time there's a time that's right for you and your pet and that's right for your circumstances you know um somebody who doesn't have the um capacity to provide specific care for their patient or doesn't have the time you know if your pet needs to have medication three times a day and you're at work all day and there's nobody else at home and it will die without this medication then you know that's not a that's not going to work and i think if if often people think they should the vets think that they should change their entire life to work around their pet but you know we're we're people with pets too yeah we understand that and yes i took on my i've got three cats myself and i took on a 12 year old cat recently that was brought in for euthanasia Uh that i i refused to do i signed the cat over um he had um he has like cystitis, so he occasionally wheezes places he shouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. He has dermatitis, so if he um, doesn't isn't kept up to date with flea treatment and he gets um, a flea infestation, he becomes really itchy and scabby. Um, and they didn't even know this, but when I was examining him, I found he had a heart murmur as well. Um, yes. So a few things wrong with him, but nothing kind of life limiting once they were all under control. And um, I signed him over, and these these people kind of just just wanted rid of him like it, they didn't want him anymore and i think yes. if someone hadn't been there to take to sign him over um then yes. euthanasia would probably have been better than him living in a house where he was having issues with his cystitis his skin was painful you know and they couldn't provide with those exactly. things exactly yeah sometimes it's not a criticism of the people who have them some sometimes it is i guess but in in many in many occasions is simply that if they can't provide it, then well, then maybe it's the right thing. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, that's I, 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 I agree. Um, you told me um, that you always wanted to be a vet. Mm. Um, you you have said that you wanted to be a vet since you were very little. But have I asked you why? No, um, honestly, I don't know. Um, I found it really interesting listening to your podcast, people talking about, oh, you know, my family um, were in farming and, you know, people yes. people could identify that, you know, either a yes. background or sometimes a eureka moment. I have no idea. I didn't even have a pet when I was, when I wanted to be a vet. Yes. My, yes. Many of us weren't because we were yeah. a student and we couldn't have them. My, my parents, um, so my mum's my a, a doctor, she's an anaesthetist. Uh-huh. And um, my dad was in the military and, and my dad brought home a kitten when I was four. Um, and my mom hated this cat <laughs> his whole life. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and then um, that's the only pet I ever had uh, until I was an adult. Yes. Um, yeah. So it was never something that my family were particularly interested in or enthusiastic about. Um, I have no idea, but I've, I've always loved animals and... Yes. It, I love science. I'm a massive nerd. Um. <laughs> I think I think that's that, that is the thing. When you said I I I love seeing things that are different coming through the door mm. and that every day is something new. I think a lot of it they say that they like they like the challenge. Yeah, the everyday challenge. I think so many of us just want to be um, want that stimulation, want that excitement, yes. and yes, you know. know 
the idea of working there are so many vets who you say what else would you be if you couldn't be a vet like I, I know you ask a lot of guests that and so many yes. of them go oh my god I don't know because yeah. I can't what what else would I do I can't imagine working an office job I can't imagine sitting any job where I had to sit in a chair all day it just yeah. like my my partner um works in tech for a bank and yes. um now is able to work from home forever never <laughs> has to go back to the office and I just think okay. that's my personal hell like <laughs> you, you don't you don't have to leave the house for weeks on end. <laughs> no, it's it's yeah. I couldn't do it. I I could. I do, do like to be at home, but uh, I think to be all the time at home probably not. I mean, when I was when I was a student, part of uh, the way I funded my 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 degree was uh, being a taxi driver mm -hmm. for my dad, um, and I actually en enjoy two things that I actually find in veterinary which you'll think, what's the relation? Customer care was mm -hmm. one, because you have to look after the people you, you're taking with mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. And and the new, the stimulation, yeah. everyone comes into into the taxi, was new, so it yeah. was a conversation. N now, now I'm getting older, I'm reading social media comments from people. Apparently nobody wants to talk to you if you're a driver or, or, or a taxi. <laughs> I think it's different. I, I, I... I will talk to anybody. Um, people always take the mick out of me. Like, I'm that person who always ends up, like, in a conversation with the person behind the till in a shop. You know, <laughs> I will, like, I have people on social media where I went to, like, a craft fair and I made friends yes. with someone selling jewelry and now we send each other birthday presents. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm just one of those, like, I, I will I will become friends with anybody who will let me have a conversation with them. Um, but, you know... I think for me to, yeah, sometimes sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I want to chat to my taxi driver. And some days <laughs> I'm like, I'm late for work. That's why I'm getting a taxi. I, everything is going Leave badly. Me Leave me alone. <laughs> uh, can I call you an extrovert then? I think so. I, I like, okay. I, I love chatting to people, but then, you know, at the same time, like you, I love to be at home quiet sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. I think we've got, we've all got a bit of extrovert and introvert in all of us, really. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's true. One thing that uh, is, I think maybe the most delicate question mm. I ask people who come in the podcast is what you don't like so much of being a vet or, we, or what would you change uh, in the profession if you could change uh, anything? I think um, th there are a couple of things that I talk about that I think we should change a lot. Um, yes. I think um, the obvious one um, is is our, our mental health. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, and I, I think other people have spoken about this before. Um, yes. You know, vets are have a, a suicide risk four times that of the general population. Um, yes. And as someone who's struggled with my mental health throughout university, I understand why uh, we're under... Um, horrendous amounts of pressure and yeah. I don't know a single vet working in a practice that is appropriately staffed right now um, Every there aren't enough of us for the workload yes. um, yeah. and everybody's getting new puppies and we can't train vets <laughs> fast enough um, yes. and you know and I think there's there's you know everyone says oh we need to talk about this and yes. we can talk about this and that's great and you know talking to my peers and talking to more experienced vets um, has been a great source of comfort for me. But at the same time, what has been great for me has been taking antidepressants and going to therapy, you okay. know? And I think Fair sometimes enough. we say, let's talk about these things, but 
we need to also realize that what's the solution yeah that's not that's that's great that's yes. a step on the road and that can yes. be a, a wonderful support for people um but also you know we're not we're, we're tough people you have to be to get through yes. that school but sometimes it's okay to say i need a professional to help me yes because we're so yes, used to being absolutely. the professional that helps people yes. we sometimes forget that we might need that for ourselves and yes that, I, I think you, you're absolutely right and and to be honest, um, I know this. It will be a podcast, so people will listen. We mm. we are seeing each other now because mm. we're in a video conference. And if I look at you, I the way you talk to me and the way you are, I would never in a million years thought that you need an antidepressant mm. or going to talk to a therapist. Mm. And and that's probably that hidden problem that we don't see because we don't talk about. I think it's so true of so many vets because we, you know, we we have to be people who are outgoing and engaging yes. and good communicators and so you know naturally we're used to back shelving those things and saying yes. i'll deal with them on my own time also i'm yes. really sorry i have just noticed um linked to what we have been talking about um a puddle of cat wee so i am just gonna clear that up okay go ahead <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> While we wait for a bit, let me talk to you about the podcast. As you can see, More Than Just a Vet has evolved, and since the first interview, it has grown into something that's different and distinct. I'd like you, the listener, to tell me what do you want from it, and to help me with the shape and the direction of the podcast. Go on, give me a review. To do that, head to the podcast website, morethanjustavet.net, and select Review in the contact form. Don't forget to tell me, how did you get to know about it? Was it an advert in the Veterinary Edge magazine, um, in vetsurgeon.org, a friend, um, podcast social media account? Finally, don't forget to subscribe. I don't release episodes regularly at this point, so getting an email when the next one is out is going to be the only way to guarantee you'll know about it. That's a nice cat. This is the perpetrator, Goose. <laughs> oh, I see. So the, the name of this cat is Goose. Yes. Um, so this is this is where I should put the adverts. <laughs> Me being like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, we, we vets, we got we got animals. That sometimes they they cause trouble at home. That's expected, and you know, I, maybe that makes us a bit closer to uh, pet owners. I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the thing. I've got my boxes of urinary supplements and urinary food all around <laughs> this room and uh, he still pees on the floor so <laughs> oh that, that, yeah. that's what well, you, you said about there are two things one of them was mental health was the other yeah and the other um i think is is um something you and i have spoken about management um yeah. how i think either we need to make a decision that at vet school, vets need to be cha trained in <laughs> management, um, you know, yes. business skills. Or we need to think about bringing in individuals um, who are trained in those things into yes. our practices. Because yes. I, obviously, I'm, a, as, as we've discussed, a relatively new graduate. Um, I left university and myself and all my friends are scattered all over the country working in different practices. Yes. And several of us have already 
left jobs or are leaving jobs or are thinking about leaving jobs um, yes. because we are poorly managed and poorly supported. Yes. And I think very few of us actually lay that blame at the feet of the people managing us because yes. at the end of the day, they're all vets. They have yes. And yes, the, a degree and, and, in medicine, not yes. a degree in management. <laughs> yes, so uh, many many vets, they manage other vets. Mm. They're not cut out to be manage, mm. managers. Or maybe they just don't want to do it mm. or they haven't spent five or six years in university to become a manager. Yeah. And, or, or maybe that part in... Or maybe simply, it should be more specific training in our degrees yeah. to to do that job. Uh, and and I guess I'm I I, I do a little bit of management mm. in, in my job, uh, and then I I kind of have to agree with you on that. So yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, I think it's you know it's it's hard because at the end of the day we all want to be fixing every animal and not doing yes. a rotor. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Um, Let's talk about things outside work. Sure. I am like? the busiest person you will ever meet. I um, yes. refuse to be one of those vets who is just a vet. So Absolutely. Well, that's why this is for. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, in, in your, in your uh, email, you send me a lot of things that you do. Mm. Um, one, of, one of them, I'm, I'm going to go uh, step by step in the order that you send it to me. <laughs> Sure. So the first one is a abortion support network, and that's not abortion about animals; it's about people, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yes. So, tell me, what do you do about that? Um, so I volunteer for a small um, UK-based charity called Abortion Support Network. Um, uh-huh. Specifically, the volunteering I do is I run their Instagram page um, with yes. my colleague and friend um, Kiara. Um, so yeah, the majority of what I do for them is um, sort of remote. Um, internet-based um kind of awareness raising and fundraising um to support the work they do the work that they do um which is much more interesting than i make it sound talking about um social media reach and follow accounts and impressions (laughs) um is that they help people across europe in countries where abortion access is um restricted to travel um to countries where they can access abortion care um, and they're part of a group called Abortion Without Borders um, that uh, provides that um, in access in several countries. So there's also, you know, a Netherlands-based charity that does it um, and, and various other countries. Um, and yeah, we essentially um, get people to donate money and we allocate that money so that people are able to access the healthcare they need um, if it's restricted in their country. Um, so for instance, in Poland... Um, Last year, we saw a change in the law there where abortion in cases of um, like fetal abnormality that would previously have been legal became illegal. Um, and yes. so there have been sort of mass protests across Poland. But in the time since that law has changed, there have still been people who need abortions. You know, like yes. we can't just wait for the law to change. People people need that help now. Um, yes. And so... We- and it- in the in the work you do, mm. do you work as an um, activist? I mean, do you try to uh, 
do you guys put pressure on governments to try to change the law or do you just your your actual focus is on actually helping people who can't have it so our, our focus is is on helping those people is on reaching those yes. people um, and that's where all our money goes um, I think as a an unintended positive side effect of the work we do um, yes we often do end up putting pressure on governments and do I end see. up raising awareness and do end up reducing stigma because you know that's even in this country i always say the reason that i care about abortion access is because when i was 17 one of my friends came to me and said i think i'm pregnant and yeah. i um i bought her a pregnancy test and i went with her to the doctor and i helped her get an abortion and she yes. was lonely and she was scared and she was reaching out to another 17 year old <laughs> yes which is not great is no it? and that's no. this is in a country where abortion is legal you know, yes. that is the best case scenario. <laughs> yes, imagine what is not. Yeah, it, it feels a bit, I mean, we're in the 21st century mm. and we're talking about Europe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it, it sounds a little bit... Um... We're talking about Europe. We can talk about the UK. In Northern okay. Ireland has only just decriminalized abortion. Um, okay. You know, they've decriminalized it and then it's three years since since that and there still isn't access to abortion there we're still having to fly people over to to england in a pandemic to get abortions yeah. because although it's legal for them to get them there's nowhere for them to do it <laughs> so is there is there any in your view i mean mm. i i supposed to be the podcast uh, host and, and 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 try to be in person mm. support the other side even though in this particular issue i'm i'm on your side um is there any reason that you feel that is acceptable to oppose it if a woman um, wants actually specifically wants to have an abortion no it's <laughs> um, a simple answer yeah it's it's to me it's um if it's not my body it's not my business you know yeah this, and yes. i think if someone doesn't want to be pregnant um a child is not a punishment, you know. People say, oh, use birth control, or oh, do this, you know. It's, if someone doesn't want to have a kid, making them have a kid, you know, if they feel they're not old enough, they don't have the money, they don't have the supportive yes. relationships that they think they need in their lives, making them have a child is not going to improve any of that, <laughs> regardless of the reason they want an abortion. I understand. I, I'm guessing some people, what they, they would say is, well, um when is that life that you mm. carry yours or when is and when's the, the time to say you you no longer have right mm. or mm. you say uh, I, I guess that uh, to me is a bit of a conundrum um, sure but but i am a man i don't know <laughs> I think, yeah. I've never been pregnant. It's... And I don't think I will ever be. <laughs> um, I mean, the wonders of modern medicine. <laughs> it was, yes. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it, it's... Um, at the end of the day, I don't know the answer to, to that question. You know, when... Where do we draw the line? When's the appropriate um, place to put restrictions in place? And, and obviously, that differs from country to country. Um, yes. As, you know, even in countries where abortion is is legal and good access is available, um, there yes. tends to be limits and restrictions um, towards the end of, of the pregnancy. Um, yes. But I think for me, what I would always say, and that this is very much a, a diplomatic answer, um, is it's yes. between um, an individual and their doctor, not none of my business. I want to make sure that, you know, the the access is there for the healthcare that people feel that they need.
Would it be fair to say that ideally, rather than the law making that decision, should be should mm. be your doctor? Yeah, exactly. And I think and you, I mean, and yeah, you. yeah. I think it's it's hard, isn't it? Because that's we could say that about so many things. You know, all yes. the politicians making laws about COVID um, and doctors going, why are they doing this particular thing and not this? <laughs> um, but absolutely, it's twenty twenty one, and uh, the UK hates experts apparently. <laughs> Uh, okay, okay, okay. I, I, I understand. I understand. Uh, the, ne- the next thing um, you talk in your email about, mm. which is completely unrelated to do, mm. there, there are other things about people's bodies. Uh, but before you said you were a member of Acorn. What, what's Acorn? Oh, I, Acorn is um, one of my favorite, well, it's something very close to my heart. Um, uh-huh. Acorn is a community union. Um, so we are, um, we exist in several places in the UK. Um, uh-huh. and we're based on an organization, um, that started in America. Um, and we are, um, a union that, um, advocates for, um, the, the rights and needs of, um, residents in a particular area. So I'm part of Acorn Manchester. Um, uh-huh. and some of the kind of things we do, um, I joined Acorn, um, because I was being messed around by my landlord. Um, oh, I see. So it's residents who have trouble with their landlord. So that's that one. Right? That's one of the things we do. Uh-huh. So they helped me um, get some repairs done on my house. Um, I had no oven for three months in the middle of a pandemic, um, okay. and my landlord just was ignoring me. <laughs> um, okay. And they helped me um, kind of take him on in a way that, had I just been acting by myself, um, I think I would have struggled to get anything done. Um, but then we also do things completely unrelated to housing. Um, and my thing that I am a complete nerd about now is buses in Manchester. <laughs> and I will okay. tell anybody about this who will listen. And very few people actually want to hear. <laughs> um, but we have successfully um, put pressure on the um, Greater Manchester Combined Authority um, and have recently got... Um, confirmation from Andy Burnham that this is going to go ahead um, that we're going to bring buses in the city back under public control um, uh-huh. in a system similar to something like Transport for London uh-huh. um, where everything will be regulated centrally rather than by individual small companies um, so there'll be kind of um, caps on fares, everything will be integrated um, and yeah we essentially um, coordinated a campaign um, where we all responded to a consultation on this. Uh-huh. Um, we delivered over 150 letters to Andy Burnham's offices about this. Um, we phone banked all of Acorn's members to get them all to fill everything in and write letters. Um, uh-huh. And out of the 10 councils in Greater Manchester, um, nine of them voted in favour of franchising the buses like we wanted. So it was a really massive victory that... Um, is probably the first political victory I've ever been a part of. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So, yeah, it was very cool. How, how, does it, how does it change for... Just give me a story for one person. How does it change it to, to one person? As in the buses or what Acorn does? Yes, yeah. on the buses. So, in Manchester at the moment, um, uh-huh. there are so many different bus companies. So, if you want yes. to get from one place in the city to another... You might have to get three different buses and they're all by different companies. So you have to buy yes. a ticket for each company. You can't buy one ticket for your journey. So one journey across town might cost you £12 and you might have to go completely in the opposite direction to get the next bus to go in the right direction. So yes. with franchising, you will be able to buy one ticket that gets you from A to B. 
And hopefully, obviously this will take some time, but the buses will be um, integrated so that routes will be not just the routes that are profitable, but the routes that people actually need. So instead of just kind of, at the moment, you've got kind of a, the spokes of a wheel are well, well supplied, everything going kind of through the centre. But if you want to get from two points that aren't in the centre of Manchester and don't go through the centre yes. of Manchester, it's a pain. <laughs> Because it's not profitable for the company. Exactly. So with, with franchising, you can subsidise the non-profitable routes with the super profitable routes so that yes. everything kind of breaks even. Wow. That's remind me, 20 years ago mm -hmm. when I was a student, now I'm talking to you about 1999, mm -hmm. 2000, where I studied in Cordoba, which mm -hmm. is on the south of Spain. Um, we, um, we have a... Um, In Cordoba, I don't know if it still exists or not, mm -hmm. but all the buses used to run, they were green buses. Mm -hmm. Back then, being green, you're thinking that's new now. That was 20 <laughs> years ago. And uh, you have a ticket, and uh, to go to A to B, mm -hmm. uh, it was all run by, by, by the council. And then you have your ticket, and you would, you would be able to use the same ticket mm -hmm. for the same money for an hour. Mm -hmm. It would not matter how many, how many buses you would take. You uh, you get into a bus in one place, mm -hmm. uh, stop in another, get another bus. Mm -hmm. You you could take five and run the whole city. Yeah, and it will you will pay only one fee. Mm -hmm. It was it was really good. Yeah. Um, and 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 I feel like this is a very old idea. I can't believe it. You have to fight for that now. In Manchester, we had it um, between the 60s and the 80s. Um, we had orange buses, um, and then yes. in 1986, um, Thatcher made a law that mandated competition um, and basically nothing's changed since 1986. <laughs> yes. Okay, I, I, I understand. Um, okay, um, I about uh, the rest of the ACORN mm. work, I, I'm guessing you can just search ACORN. Uh, in, yeah, in the, ACORN the, Community the, Union. And, yes, because um, um, I, I own my own house mm. now, but uh, I've been renting in the UK for, because, you know, I'm Spanish, I came in, I have been renting, I mm -hmm. changed, I, I, I moved home about seven times, mm -hmm. um, which is a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I, I was once evicted as well. Um, and many people don't, don't know this. Uh, but what happens is that uh, I, was asked, I was paying this uh, landlady um, every six months. Mm -hmm. Uh, and just to, to prove that I could afford it, I said, look, mm -hmm. rather than you having to go through documents or whatever, mm -hmm. I'll pay you six months every time. Mm -hmm. So when the next six months came to, to, to fruition, mm -hmm. um, because I complained and she probably thought I was being a pain, mm -hmm. or maybe she wanted just to change the, how, the, how the house was, mm -hmm. uh, then I received the letter of, get out. <laughs> and that is when you call ACORN. That, you know, yes. like that's that's what we do. Like they, I first became aware of them because they stopped my friends from getting evicted. Um, they won oh, some extra okay. time in a house for them um, so that they had time to find somewhere else to live. Um, and, you know, when you have to move house unexpectedly, everything in your life gets thrown up in the air. So having a bit yeah. more time to deal with that was what they needed. Um, Absolutely. So, you don't just move in 24 hours. Even if you do mm. move in 24 hours, you plan it two months ahead. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's 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 what they do. And I cannot recommend enough, you know, like it's, you know, having been in that situation, I'm sure you understand it's, it's, it's scary and frustrating and you're yes. just overwhelmed. So having people who go, no, we've dealt with this before, 
we can help you. Yes. Just knowing yeah. that there are people on your side is such a an amazing feeling. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Uh, the, the next thing I wanted to, to ask to you mm. is uh, a very it's very personal, mm. uh, and uh, please stop me if you need to. But uh, in your uh, tweet account, you are at uh, vetpip. Is that right? Yes. Or pipvet? Yeah, vetpip. Vetpip, okay. Um, uh, you say that you are by this practice leftist and suffer from ADHD, yes. right? <laughs> Which, for me, rather than calling those conditions, I would call you very unique. <laughs> and that I, I don't want to box you in anywhere, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, of all those things, um, obviously being by is not going to affect your job. Mm-hmm. I don't know if someone seems feels different than they probably an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, being dyspraxic and suffering from ADHD, um, I'm, I'm guessing has to put barriers to become a vet, to actually study. Yeah, I mean, I, I was diagnosed with dyspraxia um, very early um, at uni. I was always a very um, successful student academically at school. Um, I struggled yes. with focus. I was very disruptive. Um, but I never, my grades never suffered because of it. Um, yes. So I think nobody ever really kind of paid attention to those signs. Yes. I wonder. I wonder if being disruptive is a good thing in in your situation because if you fight for things of people, then I think this being disruptive has a good thing. I would. I, I definitely um, would say I see it that way now, but I'm not sure my teachers agreed. <laughs> okay, All right. I understand. Um, yeah, I, I. You know, it was always kind of a running joke that um, sometimes yes. I have a bit of a problem with authority. But I, I, yes. I, the way I see it is, I have a very strong sense of justice, and if I don't okay. understand the reason why some you know because i say so it's never a reason it's not a good reason for you. i understand well, for people who don't know look i'm going to be honest i have to google mm. it what's being dyspraxic what is it so the way i describe it is most people know what dyslexia is um yes. you know uh, well yeah more people know the word but not everyone understands it people people kind of know that it it means that you have um you know difficulties with reading and writing um uh-huh. when compared to the general population the way I describe dyspraxia is it's like dyslexia, um, but with uh, kind of space and time and processing. I uh-huh. My coordination is affected, um, so I'm a very clumsy person. Um, okay. My organization and time management um, is, is very affected. That's something I really struggle with. Um, and I've worked very hard on it. Um, I work in a really fast-paced practice, and I've yeah. just had to get a handle on it. But I sometimes have to put hacks in place that other people wouldn't have to i have um like tracking chips on my keys my phone and my wallet so that i can ring them because i lose them so so much because you lost them yeah okay i understand (laughs) it's you know it's yeah it's it's a dyspraxia is in the same family um as autism and adhd um it is um what's called like a, a, a neurodiversity um condition and yes. and so it means that your your brain is essentially wired a different way um, to to make it as simple as possible. Um, so some things that some people find easy, I find the hardest thing in the world, and I have really strange mental barriers about things that I just can't do. I don't know why I can't do them, but there's I just have learned that sometimes it's not worth fighting, and you need to find a workaround, and that's okay. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it, I, I guess that's 
that's a bit of human nature, mm. not just being a condition. If if it is something that you rather walk around it, it just I, I'm gonna tell you, it's probably nothing to do with it because I'm an absolute ignorant mm. in this practice. Like I said, I had to Google it. Uh, but um, you know when we have to intubate an animal, mm. intubate meaning putting for people who are not vets, putting this tube on the on their mouth in the in the trachea so we can deliver uh, oxygen and anesthetic gases. Some people find that using a laryngoscope, which is this item mm -hmm. to try to put the tube there, if you use it, you're weak, right? And I don't find yeah. that a weakness. I find that it's just a tool. Use yeah. it. The, so in, I think it's, as you say, there's so many attitudes in our profession about, you know, the right and wrong way to do things. The right way to yeah. do things is the, th the way that gets the job done. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, and you're comfortable with, yeah. Exactly. And... Um, if you, as you say there, you know, I, as someone who has trouble with coordinate with coordination, I frequently use a laryngoscope because I, if I can't, you know, visualize a trachea and I've got a cat that I know I've got a limited amount of time before this propofol wears off, I'm going to get yeah. the laryngoscope. Like, you know, yes. it, it, who cares? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, one more thing uh, and is to do when we talk about uh, what it says in your in your Twitter mm. uh, description uh, and you say that you are bi, but you're not just bi, you are actually an activist uh, of um, LGBT and bisexual activist. Yeah. Um, how do you do that? What, what is it? Um, so for me, I talk about being bisexual all the time um, because if other people hadn't done that, I would never have felt comfortable you know yes. identifying as that and yes. being open about it and in I, I get i get so emotional when i talk about this but in my life one of the things i'm proudest of is the four or five people who've come to me and said i realized i'm bisexual because of you because i spoke oh, I about see. it and i yes. think you know people changed my life doing that for me and it makes me so I don't know. I can't even explain the the sort of like pride that I feel in having done that for someone else. Yes. It, 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 it's unreal. And I have found an amazing community um, through talking about my bisexuality and talking about yes. bisexuality as a whole, um, particularly kind of online. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's changed my life. I've met friends, I've met partners. Um, and it's, yeah, I think... Everybody thinks they know what bisexuality is. And yes. I think sometimes people have this idea that, um, you know, bisexual people are confused or they're greedy or, you know, I'm confused and greedy. It's yes. nothing to do with my bisexuality. <laughs> yes. Yes. I understand. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm confused, I'm greedy and also I'm yeah. bisexual. That's what you're saying. Yes, I, I understand. It's, it's an and, not a because. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I see. I, I read somewhere that was a very long time ago, and I'm not sure if it's true or mm. not. Um, there was a, some sort of study where they were asking privately people um, what their uh, sexual orientations mm. were. And and then they classified people. They they, they, they did the study, and then they, they came with some, some answers mm. uh, based on their answers. They, 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 they were given to some questions. And I, I don't remember who it was, uh, but the person, and I don't know if he's, a proper study mm -hmm. no. uh, but, but the guy or the girl who um, who actually came with the conclusion said well actually only 50% of us are 100% straight <laughs> yeah <laughs> there is 50% who are 100% straight based on this study 10% mm -hmm. that probably they are 
100% gay. Mm-hmm. And then there is 40% of people who have several degrees. Yeah. Like, they may prefer one uh, gender, sexually, yeah. or the other, yeah. um, but they're not 100% to one side or the other. Yeah. And uh, again, like we talked before um, about, um, about abortion earlier, um, it seems a little bit, um, it's the word arcane to have to talk about this mm-hmm. in this um, day and age. Why is there a stigma? Why yeah. is it? Yeah, I think um, I, I, this is from my personal experience rather than sort of, you know, necessarily backed up by research. But I think um, a lot of um, society at large has now kind of accepted and got their head around the idea of, of gay and lesbian identities. Um, yes. And I think in some ways bisexuals um, terrify people because anybody can secretly be bisexual. You can be married to, you know, I could be married to a man and I'm still bisexual and people don't know. And, you know, that that can be, you can't classify people by looking at them. And I think sometimes bisexuality unnerves people because of that. You know, it's something about someone that, even if you're not trying to hide it, it's not immediately obvious. Whereas, you know, yeah. a man talking about his husband is obviously gay, things like that. Yes. Um, yes. Whereas I talk about my boyfriend and yeah. people it's very make an assumption. It's very difficult to actually say mm. that, that you're bisexual, yes. I, yeah. I understand. And even when I talked about, you know, with a previous partner, when I talked about my girlfriend, people then assume I'm something else, which is also wrong. <laughs> yes, yes, um, I, I understand. And so I think, you know, it's it's, as I say, it's about like stigma, but it's also about kind of, challenging the way people think and you know yes. saying assume nothing ask questions learn learn things and yes. don't take everything at face value because maybe maybe you're not getting the whole picture yeah so some people i guess they feel they may be rude when they ask these questions you know yeah and i guess i know there are people out there who you know don't want to talk about these things um and that's completely fair um but i personally find it very freeing for to say and you know i i to be open about yeah it, yes. i say to my colleagues like you can ask me anything if, if you ask me something that's rude i'll just say i wouldn't ask anybody else that <laughs> yes. um you know and and i think that helps people aren't going to learn if they don't make mistakes and i'd much rather people made mistakes with me and i just went hey that's maybe not something you should be saying <laughs> um yeah. because uh, yeah it's i've heard all the horrible stuff so someone i know and love asking me something that maybe is, you know, a bit of a foot-in-mouth situation um, yes. isn't going to ruin my day. <laughs> I, I, I understand. What what do we need to do? Uh, and do you think it, it affects the profession or, or it doesn't? I mean, I guess the profession can be quite open about it or is it not? I think it's a, a mix. Um, you know, it's there are things... Um, I think something that the profession really needs to work on now with regards to LGBT issues is, is trans issues. Um, more more so than sexuality. I think most people have got quite a good handle on, you know, how to be inclusive when talking about, you know, asking about people's partners rather than, you know, assuming one way yes. or another, things like that. Um, yes. But I think... I mean, I talk about my, my other half. Uh, I talk about her about, as my partner. Mm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's a bit more difficult in Spanish la- language because... All mm. the words they have to to to, be to uh, follow, yes, yeah. to be gender and, and things like that. I'm guessing it's a bit difficult, like the pronouns. I mean, is this is a new thing mm. for me? But 
is pronounced something that you support? So should people talk about their pronouns? I think it's, you know, it's a really great way for um, people who aren't transgender to show that they recognize that, you know, and again, you know, I talked about bisexuality and how assume, don't, don't, not making assumptions about people. If someone has a name badge and, you know, it says, um, it has pronouns on that are maybe different to what you expect when you first see someone, it's, yes. it's easy to just respect that and, you know, and say, just refer to people how they want to be referred to. That they want to be referred yeah. to. Yes, I understand. Uh, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, my my partner uses they them pronouns at work. Uh, well, I, I, I know always always uses they them pronouns, but you, like is open about them at work and has had a few conversations mm. at work um, with with other people about this. And I think again, it's it's about putting yourself out there and saying you you can talk to me about these things because I think I think people are very scared of making mistakes, and there will yes. always be. There will always be somebody who is upset when you make a mistake and yes. that's the reality of life. But there will also be a lot of people who want to help you get things right next time. Yeah, I, 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 absolutely. And, and I think, you know, if you're too scared of, of that, you end up um, allowing the stigma to, to continue to, to happen and, mm. uh, and being open is probably a good idea. I, I guess it's not for everybody to yeah. be open. Um, but, but but yes, I I can't I understand what you're saying. One of my receptionists um, came to talk to me the other day, and she was quite upset. She'd had a a phone call with someone, um, and she had thought that the person on the end of the phone was a woman, um, and um, ha- had sort of made some comment that made it clear of that. And the the person had said, yes. um, you know, oh, I'm actually a man, um, and. Yes. Uh, it, it, it transpired that this person was transgender. Um, he said that on the phone to her. And uh-huh. my my colleague came in and was quite upset and was like, oh, I feel like I really upset this person. I don't know what I did wrong. And I said, look, yes. you said, I'm sorry. And you referred to him correctly going forwards. That's probably yes. all he wanted. You know, he, yeah, him correcting enough. you isn't him saying, you're a terrible person. <laughs> yes. It's saying, oh, hey, it's actually this. And that's okay. You know, it, it's yes. it's fine. Everybody makes mistakes. And I think if... Um, you know, if you belong to a marginalized identity, you're probably used to people making these mistakes and you'd much yes. rather they just said, oh, sorry, I'll get it right now and moved on yes. than went, oh my God, the world is ending. Yes. <laughs> I, I think it's in a, in, a, in a different level. I, I had this conversation with Luca mm. the first time I did this podcast and uh, and some people don't understand our accent. And, mm-hmm. you know, don't understand accent. Just tell me. Yeah. Don't, don't go around, uh, spend the money in the consult and then turn around and say, Here's your 40 quid. Could I understand your bet? <laughs> yeah. Like one star review when they've left the practice and it's like, yes. great. Thank you so what? much. You could have told me, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I, I often do um, like printouts of, um, you know, I have like a handout for um, A to P and a handout for um, like feline cystitis that I give to clients yes. because I think, you know, communication is difficult. Yes. regardless of whether you have a language barrier or an accent barrier and yes. having additional ways to communicate with people is never a bad thing yeah i will yeah, never I, remember I, I got... anything my doctor says to me I... if I, I go home i google it and read what's on there instead <laughs> that's something that sometimes happens you know during the um, yeah and that's true you know during the pandemic this some people sometimes you, you get because we only allow one person now in the console with mm-hmm. the masks mm-hmm. and everything and sometimes you need 
the family or mm-hmm. or the couple or whoever owns the bed, and and often you have to go on the phone because what transpired that what you said to that person didn't actually go to the other. Yeah, and what you tell them, a lot of the conversation was lost uh, from. And when you have two, yeah, then they kind of get a better idea of they can what put their two perceptions you know you would was it yes um you, they can put their two perceptions together and come up with something that's yes. close to the truth yes <laughs> closer to what i wanted yeah. to to convey yeah, that's that's true uh, there is one last thing i wanted to ask mm. you and i think it's maybe a bit more fun and is it you uh, contribute to outlets about music yes oh um i have I no idea about music <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I love pop music so much. Uh-huh. Um, it is my, my truest love, my most faithful love. <laughs> um, yes. and I write about pop music and I have been doing that for about seven or eight years now. Uh, I write about pop music and, and pop culture and LGBT culture and kind of how all those things interact. I see. And I've been published in a few places both in print and online and yes. it's something i do it makes basically no money um so i very much do it okay. for fun um just like my podcast yeah exactly exactly <laughs> um but it's it's having something outside of work that i feel yes. i can put a part of myself into that doesn't get used in my work um yes i understand you know i wouldn't say i know a huge amount about music in theory i'm not a musician um Yes. But I, I have a lot of thoughts about a lot of things. <laughs> okay, well, so it's a, it's an opinion column, right? It's an opinion. Um, so it's thing. it's I write mostly about new music, um, kind of short pieces yes. introducing new artists, and then sometimes yes. like longer form interviews um, and things like that. Um, my 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 biggest interview I ever did was I interviewed half of One Direction. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. Um, so yeah, I've, I've spoken to some some pretty cool people. Um, a lot of artists I really love that aren't necessarily particularly well known, and then um, some artists like um, Nick Jonas and people who are pretty famous, um, but you know, less 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 that I was interested in, and more just because I was like, well, now I can say I've interviewed Harry Styles. <laughs> yes, I, I understand. So, if we want to read about your pieces, mm. where do we go? Particularly the the big one. <laughs> so um, yeah, that the, those two actually were with um, a, a New Zealand-based music magazine called Coop Domain, C O U P D E M A I N. And then for the past ooh, five years or so, um, I've been writing and editing at the Line of Best Fit, which is a UK new music magazine. Um, so yeah, loads, loads, and loads of my stuff is on there. Hundreds and hundreds of pieces. <laughs> okay. Do you do you sign as Big Williams? Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. All under Fantastic. all under that name. Maybe I should get a better pen name. <laughs> no, no, that's brilliant. I actually quite like it. Um, so, what's your like? Like I said, uh, I'm completely ignorant about music, mm. but I, I I feel I need to ask you: uh, What's your favorite artist? Uh, so. My, I'm I'm gonna re- cheat and I'm gonna give you three answers. <laughs> okay, that's that's absolutely fine. So Florence and the Machine is the band that got me into music. Um, uh-huh. I um, discovered her and loved her music and just 
that's been like a constant thing that I've been listening to for a decade now. I would say uh-huh. there's never a month that goes by where I don't put one of her albums on at least once. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, then my like absolute queen of pop. Um, I'm about to get a tattoo of her face on my leg. <laughs> okay. Is Kesha, um, uh-huh. who um, I think a lot of people think they're too cool for. Um, but I don't believe in guilty pleasures. If you like something, okay. like it. <laughs> okay, and fair enough. Yeah, I, I love her and she is the kind of music I put on when I want to have a good time. Okay. And then the band that um, not enough people know about but that I love with my whole heart is Sylvan Esso. Um, they are a couple from um, America and they make um, weird electronic um dance pop music um and they have just put out well just they have recently put out a third album um and all three of their albums are just works of art um okay. i love it so much <laughs> fantastic uh, i'm gonna ask you just one more question mm. and i only want one answer okay what's your favorite what's your favorite song of all times is that one so my favorite song of all time um is called portobello bell It's by uh-huh. um, Dire Straits, um, uh-huh. which are completely dad music. <laughs> um, okay, okay, but my my dad used to play this song for me all the time when I was little. Um, and there's a version on... Um, they have like a compilation album that's their kind of greatest hits. Um, but yes. it's got a live version of this song on it. And yes. it has this saxophone solo on it that is just... Uh-huh the best like 20 seconds of music I have ever heard in my life okay fantastic <laughs> um, I'm 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 really glad and um, that's 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 very nice I've learned a lot from you today <laughs> so okay so Pip thank you for taking part of my show thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute pleasure and that's all for today I hope you enjoy the show and don't forget to share this recording in social media and with friends and family. Also, if you want to know when the next episode comes out, visit the podcast website morethanjesabet.net and subscribe to the newsletter. Hasta la próxima!